Welcome to Green City, a podcast focused on sustainability. I'm your host, Lene Marty Henson. We invite you to listen in on our conversations for positive change. It is my hope that we can all come away with something that resonates within our own lives and inspires us to action within our own communities. Let's start where we are and find ways to work together to create more connected, more vibrant, and indeed more sustainable communities. Join us each week as we learn from each other. We have another returning guest joining us this morning, and she happens to be a former student of Brant Reif, who was our guest last week. Um, He happened to be her advisor for her honors program at Valley High School. Fatima Hussein is a graduate of Valley High School in West Des Moines, and she went on to attend Brown University for her undergrad and is now at MIT working on her PhD, doing research focused on, and I have to make sure I get this right, Fatima, um, you're studying ancient earth and how it has changed over time using chemistry, biology, and of course, history. It's just just fascinating to me. So thank you for coming on. It's been too long and um, we're thrilled to have you join us this morning. Well, thank you so much for having me again. It's always a pleasure to speak with you, Lene. So as we like to do to start out, I'd love for you in your own words, just share a few of the highlights on your journey to this point, things that have really been important to you over the past few years. Yeah, sure thing. So, uh, as you mentioned in my introduction, uh, you know, I'm an Iowan, um, very proud to be one, and I bring the Iowa passion everywhere I go around the country. Um, but I started out, you know, my love of science uh, in the Western Wine Public School District as a student, and I was there for K through 12. Uh, but once I got to high school, I signed up for this class called AP Environmental Science. Uh, and that just sounded cool to me because I liked gardening. So I was like, this is probably the closest I'll, I'll get to learning the science behind what I do. Uh, and the teacher was Mr. Brent Reif, who you had on the show earlier. And uh, it just changed my life. I'd always loved science, but I didn't really know practically that you could study the environment using all the tools you were learning in your chemistry and biology and physics classes. So that was just incredible. So I ended up uh, doing a research project with him for my Valley Honors Program and went on to college after that, uh, continuing that love of science and and studying that. And I majored in geochemistry. So I I like to say, uh, uh, and I'm not like sparing my words or or being humble here or anything, but I really couldn't, I couldn't do it uh, without Mr. Reif and without Valley and the support both of those institutions and amazing people like gave me there. Um, Following my time at Brown, I decided to take a foray into science journalism because you know, science is amazing and doing science and making discoveries is one thing and that's completely thrilling. But for me, the excitement comes from sharing those discoveries with other people and getting other people excited about it. So science journalism seemed like a natural venue at which I could learn those skills into how to share science most effectively. So I did that for a little bit. Um, and, and then, you know, continued on to grad school to get my PhD. So uh, I hopped over to the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. And I've, I've been here since 2017, doing science research, um, 
getting a master's in science writing. And now I'm in a PhD program in the Department of Earth, Atmospheric and Planetary Sciences. And it's a total blast. So I'm studying ancient Earth and how it changed over time, as you said, using a lot of different tools in geology, biology, and chemistry. Yeah, I just love it. So we talked a little bit beforehand, but but if, if you're into science as you are, um, it must be invigorating to be at a place like MIT where you are surrounded by amazing scientists doing all sorts of leading edge research. Is that true? Oh, that is super duper true. And invigorating is, you know, just the start of it. It's invigorating. It's thrilling. It is terrifying. I mean, <laughs> when I first stepped foot on that campus, you know, I was totally intimidated by all these like people I perceived as like geniuses around me, you know? Um, yeah. There are people I learned about in like when I was sitting in the classroom in Valley High School, had the science textbook open and I, you know, was meeting the people whose names were written down there, you know, the people who discovered these huge concepts. So I was totally uh, in awe. I think every day I'm in awe here, but um, in the beginning, it was it was really rough to accept that, you know, I, I belong here, too, um, yeah. and that I have something to offer. Uh, but this couldn't have been a more collaborative, like amazing environment uh, to learn. So it's totally thrilling to be with these people who inspire you and, and push you to be your best um, and don't give up. And, and they work really hard. And that's, you know, just benefited my studies and the science I'm able to do even more. Yeah. Um, so it, it's amazing. And, and people here truly like couldn't be nicer. Um I'm really blessed to be in a department with some of the coolest people on the planet, I like to say, yeah. um, with supportive professors in my field and, and not even in my field. And I have mentors who don't study geochemistry, but they're going to still mentor me. So I've been really, really lucky to be at an institution like this. And this is really a place that you should come if you want to bury your head in the books and in the lab for a few years and discover something brand new. But as you, what you are doing is, is so important because it's one thing to, to love science and to do the, and to love the research, but then to be able to, as you mentioned earlier, communicate that effectively so that others can understand more Mm -hmm. and perhaps be driven to action or just engage. I mean, that's the critical piece that isn't always there. Right. Right. I mean, there's, you know, to, to speak a little bit more on MIT, when I was making my decision for where to go to grad school, you know, you, you apply to multiple places and inevitably you're going to get rejected by a few and hopefully into a few. I examined really closely where I had the best shot at continuing to develop these skills to communicate that science, which environments were going to be the most supportive to that. Because as you just said in your question, it is so important. It, none of this stuff matters if we can't share this and, and use our findings to improve life for everyone else, you know, outside of the research lab. So MIT was the place where there are a lot of people in the area who are communicating science exceedingly well. There's scientists doing it. There's people who are professional science communicators, and that's all they do for a living. Mm-hmm. There's so many journalists around here who I am totally in awe of all the time. So this was an incredible environment where being able to communicate that science is, is really valued. So um, it's really reassuring to be in a place where we, we know what's important and, yeah. it's, and it's encouraged. Um, whereas some other science programs are very much, you know, you're going to be in the lab. You're not going to, you're not going to go on um, <laughs> green city. You're not going to do these things. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. But I'm really blessed and lucky to be in a place that supports all of this. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. And I think particularly now, because it's, it seems like over the last few years, science has been the scientific method. And I'm speaking as the daughter of a scientist, a science professor that, Mm -hmm. you know, he, he sometimes jokingly, but kind of means this, that he thinks he failed at his job because he didn't properly teach people that the scientific method, the whole point of it is that you, it's ever changing and you're learning as you're going and you don't know all the answers when you start out and you're, you know, and so that's just part of it. And I'm sure even when you're looking at ancient earth, you're learning something new every day, I would imagine. Absolutely. I mean, you start out with an educated guess about what's going on. You know, you you have some background information to inform what you think you could expect. Uh, so if I look back 2 million years in a certain environment, I might have some supporting information um, that'll lead me to guess that, oh, maybe I'm looking at a dry environment or a wet environment, but the science is going to be right there and you're going to have that data on your screen. And when it says that it's a wet environment or the complete opposite of what you're thinking, that's when it gets interesting. Mm-hmm. And you have to figure out what's really going on because that defied your expectations. And that's the most exciting part of science. You know, it's, it shouldn't be disappointing to get a result contradictory to what you think it should be exciting. And that's, that's the nature of, of doing our work. Like being wrong is just the beginning and like exploring how to improve your hypotheses and, and how to improve your guesswork going forward is like the most exciting thing. It's, yeah. it's like you're, you're trying to solve mysteries, right? And sometimes you go down the wrong paths, but as long as you get on the right path, then you can solve that mystery eventually. Right, right. Yeah, that's, a, that's really well said. So tell us about, and I don't even know how to ask this question because it's, you know, <laughs> but give us a peek into what you are doing and some of the research that you have found so far. Sure. So I'll, I'll speak on this pretty broadly um, because you'll learn that, you know, every single person uh, who's doing a PhD in science is doing something hyper specific. Yeah. Right. Uh, the, the point is you're going to be like the world expert in that topic when you graduate. Yeah. And no one else is going to know it as well as you. So I'll, I'll speak on this on a very broad level. But uh, right now I use uh, really, really old molecules um, to study how environments have changed over time. So some people use, like you can use uh, people like dig for bones as fossils, right? Like we think of fossils and fossil hunting and how we understand how life was back then because of it. I'm using fossils too, except they're molecular. We Hmm. need really advanced instrumentation to see them. And and you and I can't really see them with our own eyes. I can hold up a scoop of dirt though. And I can tell you, okay, I know this dirt is 2 million years old and it's filled with 2 million year old fossils, you know? Hmm. So I use, you know, many million year old fossils to figure out how climate has changed because those fossils have information in their structures um, about the type of environments in which they were formed. So sometimes I see fossils from like ancient plants and I can say, okay, these ancient plants are here. Or I see fossils from ancient leaves and I can infer, okay, if I see signals from these leaves then we must've had this kind of vegetation or I see fossils for uh, microbes that love to live in water. And I could say, oh, so there was water here Hmm. or this environment was hot or cold or this environment got colder or hotter over time. So it's really cool to be able to use molecular fossils to study that. So that's, that's part of what I do for my PhD. 
Uh, and the other part of what I do is I use information um, held in proteins. So we all have proteins in our body. Proteins are everywhere in living um, microbes. They're everywhere in the environment. And I, I use proteins to study like how things have evolved over time. How is, hmm. how is life itself changed over millions of years? So uh, we're looking at fossils and proteins. That's the short version. Wow. And as you mentioned, you're kind of still focusing in on that one particular area of expertise that you will be the world expert on. Yeah. <laughs> but this hopefully. is where you're, I mean, that's just fascinating what, what yeah. you're doing. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. So all of this falls under the, the term geobiology. So if anyone's listening is interested in looking into this more, geobiology is the term that encompasses the study of like life in the environment and huh. how it interacts with the environment, how it's influenced by the environment and how it's changed over time. So lots, lots to do in these disciplines. Well, and it's very relevant to, you know, discussions on climate change these days, because Absolutely. you are, as you said, seeing how we have impacted the environment over long periods of time. Right. I mean, one of the, one of the parts, one of the projects I'm working on, uh, we're actually studying how uh, gut microbes have changed over time. So microbes, hmm. like the organisms that live in our own, you know, GI systems, gastrointestinal systems, we're looking at that and we're, we're looking at populations that um, haven't been exposed to antibiotics uh, and, mm. you know, Western diets like food from McDonald's, you know, what are their gut microbes look like versus ours and how is that changing and how is that going to change? Uh, and how does that compare to, uh, you know, guts of people from a long time ago? And can we study where humans used to live, like ancient humans used to live based off of, uh, you know, their gut contents uh, uh, in their bodies and in their environments? It's, it's super cool. So um, that's just like a, a, a snippet of that information and how things are changing even so rapidly when we're looking at things happening today. Right, right. That, that's amazing. And we, we will definitely, we'll have to get you on a regular schedule. So we can get updates on, on your fascinating work. I'm down. Yeah. Next time we'll talk about the gut microbiome. There you go. <laughs> so one thing I want, you also mentioned that you are um, producing a, a radio show for NPR Rhode Island. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So um, for a couple of years now, I've been working with a wonderful radio show called Possibly. So it's one word, possibly. And we study uh, information you hear about sustainability and the environment and personal decisions you could make that possibly improve the outlook on things. So this is a really wonderful show that breaks down some pretty complicated climate science and sustainability science for everyone. So I've learned a lot working on this show myself, but we answer questions like, uh, I'll give you some funny examples that uh, always like tickle me when I say them. We've answered questions like, uh, is burial or cremation more environmentally friendly? Hmm. Is a toilet paper or a bidet going to use less water? Hmm. Um, another one we've done is like, we've been looking at electric cars recently. Like, do, can we support electric cars in the future? What are, what about like making their batteries? How much can mm -hmm. we trust these things? So we answer a huge wide range of 
different topics and questions you might have to help people sift through things that they can do, individual actions that you can take that actually make a difference. Um, if you're interested in home improvement, we have so many episodes on water heaters, gas powered versus electric tools, solar panels on your roof, painting your roofs white, insulating your house well. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. And we are weekly um, during uh, uh, NPR's morning edition on Rhode Island Public Radio, um, which is their NPR station. So it's it's been totally cool to work for two years and, and help produce uh, a radio show that really helps cut through the noise. Yeah. I think we need to talk to Iowa NPR and um, see if we can get you over here. To <laughs> the, the people can't hear this, but on, on our on our Zoom conversation, I'm making, you know, these big eyebrows at uh, Lene right now saying, let's make it happen. So, yeah, I would I would love that. I mean, the, the more people we can share this information with, the better. But if, if you can't if you're not in Rhode Island driving around, uh, which you wouldn't be if you're listening to this in Iowa, um, you can always find us on Apple Podcasts or, or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Just look up possibly. Yeah. And I'll, um, I'm behind on my blogs, just a shout out to everyone. I apologize for that. <laughs> Once I get the blog up for the show, I'll have links to that so we can all kind of connect to it and load it into our Spotify. Um, so with all of your work, what is something that you wish our listeners or, or people would understand about our environment that maybe is misunderstood right now? Yeah, I think one thing that I don't hear en- enough about in um, the things, the materials we might use to learn about the environment is how much we're relying on our oceans to mm-hmm. to take up the excess heat um, that we are uh, um, trapping in our atmosphere uh, because of our carbon dioxide emissions. So when we um, have carbon dioxide emissions, like you have a coal uh, burning powered plant, for example that emits carbon dioxide, this molecule that's really good at trapping heat into our atmosphere. So then it goes up there, it traps heat instead of letting it escape to space on our planet. Uh, And when that heat is trapped, not only do we have these heat waves that we are becoming more and more accustomed to, I feel like every summer and fall, we're still, we're facing more and more heat waves. I didn't grow up having that. But the thing that is most important is, you know, 90% of that heat it, it, it about it is getting trapped in the oceans and, and about like the first 700 meters of our oceans on the surface. And that has a profound effect on marine life. And a lot of that marine life is responsible uh, for producing the oxygen we breathe and for regulating our climate in the first place. So there's not really like individual things that we can do to, to fix that. The big ticket items that you can really do is, you know, vote accordingly, vote for people who understand what's happening to our oceans, vote for people who understand that our missions are having an extremely real and tangible impact on what we experience day to day and and what marine life is experiencing day to day. Um, Those are like the biggest things that you can do to make a difference is is to vote accordingly and and vote based off of uh, climate and, and what we can do to preserve the amazing lives we have now. Yeah. Yeah. And and do you have any insight on how to um, break through the barriers of of the the one vote? I mean, voting is so important, but it just seems like we still have a lot of influence in the wrong direction. And Mm -hmm. I and I and sometimes I think we get, you know, a little defeated. So, you know, 
I guess I'm leading into the how do we how do we continue to stay engaged so that we can continue to be aware of who is on the right side of science, I guess, if you will. Yeah. I mean, the best way to figure out who's on the right side of science is, is for you to figure out what the right science is. Yeah. So that when you hear these folks give their speeches or public appearances, you can kind of evaluate what they're saying and, and think critically about these things and say, okay, does that, does that quite make sense to me? Uh, does that really pass the, the litmus test? Uh, and there's some really good resources out there now, you know, I've been on this show, this will have been my third appearance, but uh, since I started, um, speaking with you and joining the show, there's been so many resources I've fallen in love with. And one of them that I really, really want to emphasize to, to viewers is this UK-based publication actually called Carbon Brief. Hmm. They write the most incredible climate explainers. They cover climate and environment news every day. So if you're interested in those topics, that's a great place to get your daily news fix on those, on those issues. But also they explain these complicated concepts. So if, if you heard about what I was saying about the oceans and want to learn more about that, Carbon Brief is actually a great place to learn about how the oceans are absorbing heat, how that exactly works. What's the science behind that? So you have the ability, anyone um, has the ability to go to these you know, free resources and, and learn. And then when you learn that information, then, then you can listen to people and say, okay, was, was so-and-so saying the right thing about this? Mm -hmm. And the more you learn, the more you can engage with your community members. So mm -hmm. you mentioned, okay, it's kind of disempowering sometimes because you have one vote, but really think about your community, think about your friends and family and, and the people you see in your day-to-day. -day. The more you know about this, the better that you can explain these issues to other people, that's more votes, you know, that's more votes right. at the ballot box, right? Um, so there is, there is a hopeful side to this. I want everyone to know that it, you know, it, it might seem because the situation is dire, it might seem intimidating or it might seem like this stuff goes over our heads, but truly we've made so much progress in the past 10 years on explaining the science behind climate change and extreme weather that there is no shortage of resources out there that you can use to learn this information. I I've actually, I'll give you a, a more uh, innocuous um, or, or uh, an example of something that's outside of immediate climate concerns. But on, on Facebook, you know, you can follow the um, United States Geological Survey. So their acronym is USGS. And the folks who run the USGS accounts on Facebook are incredible and I respect them so much. So one of my favorite USGS accounts is USGS Volcanoes because who doesn't love learning about volcanoes? You know, that's not even the kind of geoscience I do, but like if a volcano is erupting, like I wanna know about it. I wanna know how that works. If people are at risk, like how they're studying that thing. It's so cool. And, and the folks who work at the USGS actually respond to listener comments uh, or reader mm -hmm. comments. So if you leave a comment on one of their news articles, someone's actually going to get back to you. If I ask a question like, do I need to worry about Yellowstone super volcano erupting anytime soon? Someone will respond and be like, no, you don't. And here's why. Huh. So you have the ability to learn like while you're doing your normal activities about these things, you know, people have their daily scrolls of Facebook, go ahead and give USGS a follow, go ahead and give carbon brief a follow. You'll see that information where you're already getting all your other information. But if not, you know, but those uh, words in your search bar and, and you'll find an endless amount of resources and good explainers on this. I love that. And, and that was, you, you led right into the hope because we always want to end with the hope. So thank you for that. Fatima. Yeah. So of course. 
Any final words of wisdom for our listeners today? I mean, I, I would love to remind everyone that, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to study science in high school or study science in college or as a master's student or as a PhD student to be able to participate and do science and mm -hmm. to evaluate science. You know, you can read as there's so much good, like writing about science out there that's meant for everyone. This is a really open community. We want to welcome everybody and their different perspectives they bring to it. So anyone can become well-versed in, in what's going on with our climate. Anyone can become well-versed in the environment. I want to encourage people to consider how empowering that can be. You know, the earth's future is really in our hands mm -hmm. and everybody is, I believe, more than capable of, you know, reading and learning about these things and, and becoming experts um, in the future. So uh, I'm always happy to answer questions or help people on that path, but don't think that the only people who can solve these problems are, are the PhDs, you know, studying this in, in the research lab in Cambridge, Massachusetts, right? It's, it's people like you and me. It's, it's people like who I was in, in high school sitting in the classroom at Valley. You know, it's, it's me going to the Jordan Creek Mall and talking to my friends there and having engaging conversations. So um, yeah. everyone plays a really important, um, important and, and highly valued role here. Yeah. Very, very good. Well, thank you for joining us today and for sharing your insight, Fatima. It's always a joy. And thank you for having me. It's, it's always been a pleasure. And for everyone listening, remember to check out yourgreenportal.com. We'll have the podcast and blog of the show loaded up there as well as on Spotify. So we encourage you to keep tuning in and as we continue this conversation. And we thank you as always, for listening. That's all for this edition of Green City. I'm Lene Marty Henson, and I hope you continue to listen in on these conversations focused on the broad realm of sustainability. I truly believe that we go further faster when we come together to have real dialogue, inspiring us toward practical solutions. Let's continue to learn from each other how best to nurture this precious planet we call home. Thanks for listening. We are truly grateful.